This is episode three of Motherboard. This episode is sponsored by our Kickstarter campaign. So huge thanks to everyone who gave and by Heroku. Heroku allows your organization to build apps faster, deploy instantly, and scale on demand, all without managing servers. Gain the flexibility to deploy any language, any time, and to any scale. Learn more and sign up to get started at heroku.com. I'm Catherine Rotundo, and our guest today is Shirley Gao. Shirley is based in Paris, France, where she works on the YouTube team at Google while raising a young daughter. Hi, Shirley. Hi. I saw that you're Dr. Gao, actually, as I was looking you up. Ah, yes, yes, I I am not a medical doctor. I am a a PhD. Uh, Yeah. Cool. So you work at Google. Yes, I I work on YouTube now, which is a a product uh, at Google. Cool. Um, and how did you how did you get there? What what led you to work on that team? Um, so I started with um, Google in two thousand and nine when I finished grad school. Um, I wanted to go work for Google Health, which was a personal medical record product. And um, my partner was finishing school in New Jersey, so. It was in New York, so I could stay there. I knew he was finishing, and so he was an academic, so I needed to be able to move to other cities. Um, At the time, when he got his job outside of Paris, London was the closest engineering office, and so I went to London, and then I got pregnant, and and so I had to to try to figure out how to be in the same city and country as my my husband, and um, then we came to um, Paris, and then from Paris, YouTube was one of the projects that was the closest match for my skills. Um, I used to work on the API team, and then there was a reorganization, and then I ended up working on on these automatically generated channels. Wow. Well, it's really great that um, working at Google, you were able to um, move around geographically to fit your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, were you interested in programming as a kid? Um, no, I didn't do it at all as a kid. I I mostly read fiction. Um, when I was in college, I started rock climbing. I did some crafty things, but I never programmed in my spare time. Nothing like that. So how did you uh, get on the, a technical path then? Well, I, I have Asian parents. <laughs> And that meant that they pretty much wanted me to become an engineer of some kind. So I had already had, like, math was really important to them. Um, so by the time I entered college, I I could do pretty much most majors in engineering, and I applied to all the departments. So I went to the University of Washington, and at that time, so this was in 2000, I think, yeah, uh, I was able to apply to the different departments, but this was kind of peak of the dot-com bubble. So if you're in Seattle, um, the, the department that had the most strain on it and, and was like the most competitive to get into was the computer science department. And it was one of the ones, computer science and computer engineering department. So I had applied for computer engineering and um, I decided I didn't want to do that. I had a 
professor of mechanical engineering that was mentoring me. And so I, I said I would do mechanical engineering. And then uh, Gaetano Borriello, I recently touched back with, um, he called all the students that rejected the computer science positions and he called them at home and he asked them like why they weren't going to accept their place. And under questioning, I, I cracked. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I changed my major. I was like, oh, okay. Do you think that's good? And then I, and I, and I ended up changing to computer science because of that. Um, wow. Yeah. That's a great it, story. It wasn't planned. And I had, I had emailed him this story because I used it in a presentation for an outreach event. And he said that that made his week. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think there are a lot of women out there who sometimes need, um, a little bit of encouragement or a push. Um, and when they learn that actually people want them there, uh, it makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, I had this person who is a mechanical engineering professor that was encouraging me too. So there was, I was very lucky that I had people who were reaching out to me to begin with. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so when you were younger, did you, did you always know that you would have kids later or? Did no, that... no, <laughs> I didn't want to have kids actually. Um, at all. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. I also didn't, didn't grow up. Um, there was one girl in my class in middle school. I remember her saying that she wanted to have eight kids and I was like, why? I don't know. It, just, it wasn't my, wasn't my thing, but I grew up and then I wanted to have them. So. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was different when I got older, but, um, when I was younger, it was not, not a goal. No. So you have one child? Yeah. I have a daughter who's, um, about two and a half right now. Yeah. She's a toddler. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw a picture of her on your phone when we were at Hopper. Uh, that was, yeah. <laughs> she's very cute. Um, she is. <laughs> um, so, uh, so where were you when you had her? You had been in the UK and then did you have her in the UK or had you already yep. moved to Paris? It was complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, I arrived in London and I was already toward the end of my first trimester and uh, my husband had moved to Paris already. So we were living in London and he would uh, once a week go to the university in Paris to teach his class. Um, but I knew that, that Google was opening an office, an engineering office in Paris. So we'd, uh, just figured that we'd be six months in the UK, um, and then I would give birth in Paris. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I moved a month before my daughter was born. Okay. Wow. So uh, your husband must be pretty familiar with the the Eurostar. Is that <laughs> <what>? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He had a lot of. Uh, there's a what do you call like a a bakery called Paul. Mm -hmm. um, that sells sandwiches at the Eurostar station. <laughs> and he couldn't eat a sandwich from that place for <laughs> like a year. Oh, too funny. I just had pastries from Paul um, this past weekend. I was in Lille for a conference. So, um, yeah, I've 
good. I mean, I could eat those forever. I think I don't have the same association. Well, if you ate them every single week. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Um, So were, you knew uh, this whole time that you were going to have a baby, were Google's, um, were there benefits around parenting, something that you factored in when you decided to work there? Or was it really something that you only learned about after you had already started at the company? So um, the parental benefits weren't a factor in deciding uh, working at Google. Um, I had thought about the number of locations. I'm not even sure when I joined Google, I was so certain. I think I did want a kid at that point. Um, But I wasn't certain um, where I was going to be. So I knew my husband was going to need to get a job and that he didn't know where he was going to be able to get one as an academic. Um, so being at a company that had a lot of locations to work in was really important for that. Um, I had arrived in London pregnant, and so I knew yeah. I needed to know what the policies were. But uh, I hadn't researched, because each office actually does, well, obviously not all the offices have it. Each office in the U.S. has provides by the U.S. policy, but each country can have its own policy. And so uh, at the time I became pregnant, I had glanced at the U.K. policy, but I didn't really know. It, it wasn't a cost-benefit analysis. about. Right. Although my manager did joke that I somehow managed to find an optimal policy. Because <laughs> it, it is longer in the U.K. than it is in the U.S. Yeah, it's longer in a lot of countries than in the U.S. Um, well, so were you able to, um, observe other coworkers going through, um, parental leave and coming back to work before you went through it yourself? Or, um, were you really working with people who hadn't gotten to that stage yet or, you know, just, or, or, or were beyond that stage already? I I was limited in London and that I didn't know that many people when I joined the office. Uh, so there were a lot of pregnant engineering ladies at that time, but uh, I it turned out I had met someone who, I guess, I think probably, we, oh, we were in the same yoga group, and uh, off, outside of the office, sorry about that, and um, she organized a lunch for women who were pregnant in the London office in 2011. Oh, nice. Which was a lot of people, strangely enough, and so I did no pregnant women who work for the company, not in engineering. And then on top of that, uh, a lot of people I went to undergrad and grad school with uh, work at Google. So I ended up knowing someone who had a child slightly older than mine uh, in Seattle and someone who was pregnant a few months ahead of me in New York that I knew about when I left New York. So I, I did know other people. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm a little envious. I didn't know any other <laughs> when I was pregnant, and I, I wished I had. Yeah, I mean, obviously not everyone was in the same time zone and not in the same location. So when I arrived in Paris, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your, your pregnancy then. Um, I'm very curious, since you say that you moved when you were about three months in, which is when you are what, just starting to show. Yeah. Um, how did you handle the early pregnancy before you disclosed it at work? I was totally panicked about it. I I, um, I actually arrived, I think, slightly before the end of the first trimester ended. So I was 
I had started working on the team in New York, waiting for my visa to come through. So there was like a larger team on ads that was based in New York, and then there was a smaller project in London that was specialized on mobile. And so I was really tired um, a lot. So I had to eat. I, I, it took a while for me to realize I had to eat regularly, and mm-hmm. um, I didn't. I would get really lightheaded, and I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't understand what was wrong until like I ate. So, um, so I remember in London, my husband would get really worried about, especially the days where he would be in Paris, and he would have me keep little packets of sugar in my jacket. Oh, like a diabetic. <laughs> in case I was feeling lightheaded, I always have like a cereal bar or something with me to eat if I was I was feeling um, too lightheaded. So that that was probably like the tiredness. Um, my husband had to. To take on a lot more when we were in New York um, because I needed to sleep a lot more. Yeah, uh, that was probably, and I think just having it be secret and having so many changes going on at the same time was really stressful. I think that was. Yeah, the, big... the secrecy is weird. I mean, you know, there are different schools of do we tell people, and then if something goes wrong, then we have a support network, or do we wait and tell when once we know everything's fine? Um, I also waited and especially at work I think most people wait um but yeah it, it, it just sort of goes against my grain I'm a very open person <laughs> it just felt <laughs> weird to have something that I wasn't telling people I think it was just more like I didn't I was worried if we miscarried and mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to have to be public about that as well yeah so um, that was my main concern at that time so then when you did announce your pregnancy, how did you go about it? Who did you talk to first? Or how did you get the information to everyone who needed to hear it? Well, the very first person that knew was our real estate agent in Paris. Because <laughs> <laughs> we suddenly needed a bigger apartment. But um, I actually arrived in London very close to Christmas. And, and I was immediately working on a project. It turned out that there was a, a demonstration competition week. So everybody was working on projects that would only last for a week period and that it, like everybody would demonstrate what they were doing after the end of the week. So our whole team was involved with it and we won it and we got it, we all got bonuses for it. So nice. Yeah. So it was a really great start to the team. And but then like Christmas vacation happened after that. And so my first meeting with my manager wasn't until face to face. I'd seen him before, so I couldn't really I didn't really want to bring it up until I saw him face to face. My first meeting with him um, was, you know, after this thing good thing had happened and, and I had to say, you know, I know ads is really complicated and it's gonna take me six months to ramp up on this, but I'm pregnant and as you know my I he already knew about this. My my husband's in Paris, so um, and you know they're opening an office there, so I'm going to take maternity leave and never come back. <laughs> um, and he was great. Um, he had a young kid himself. And so he was really cheerful about it and really happy about it. But then I had to tell him that I had really serious family illness and another um, HR-related issue. And so that wow. meeting went really terrible, really fast. And I started crying. And it was really stressful to, like, have to wait to have told him all this stuff and I felt really bad about the transfer and things but he was so supportive and he's totally won me over as a fan for the rest of my life because he he was so supportive about it and he 
um, told me I needed, I could take as much time as I needed for my family. And he still gave me really great projects to work on. And he continues to mentor me even, even from Paris now. So I think I have a meeting with him next week. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. He, he was, I, I, it was just so much better than I'd ever expected it to go. Wow. It's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned crying in a meeting, which I have done too. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I think this is one place where, um, people, uh, people have asked me, why is this podcast not just about parents in tech? Why is it about, uh, moms in tech? And I feel like they're, um, you know, your hormones go someplace different. Now it's, uh, it's totally reasonable to, you know, to be very upset about, family illness and other tricky things that you're talking about, but I feel like the pregnancy hormones might take it to another level that, um, that brings up kind of a unique, uh, it, it puts women in a unique situation. Well, so how did the rest of your pregnancy go after that? Did, did, uh, you regain your energy after a certain point and did things get easier? Yeah. I mean, I had this joke with my husband one day I came home in New York and he, had, I came, I would come home and I would go to sleep and he would wake me up to have dinner and Aww. I would eat and then I would go to sleep and then I'd wake up for work the next day. And, and one day he goes, um, well, you know, I did the grocery shopping today and I cooked dinner. So I was just wondering if maybe you could, don't you think it'd be fair if I, you did the dishes? Oh. <laughs> and I got really bad. And I said, you try growing a effing placenta. <laughs> and, and he never, I don't think he, I think whenever he wanted to ask me something after that, he just repeated that phrase. <laughs> right. A um, little self-check. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in terms of, I was really lucky I didn't get sick and I didn't have any other kids. So I was just doing like yoga at home and I was doing it at work and, and, um, uh, yeah, I didn't, I don't think maybe it's just because all the hormones have blocked it out, but I, I think it went very well. And, um, I did start sitting on a ball at work, which helped. I got an ergonomic review so that, they could adjust and he knew what to do for pregnant women and told me to be careful about getting um, repetitive stress injuries mm -hmm. because of the joints. Um, but yeah, wow. I mean, oh, we have onsite prenatal massage in the London office. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to use that as much as I could. Um, uh, unfortunately, we don't have that in Paris, but, mm. um, but I'm not pregnant, so it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Um, wow. Well, it's great to hear that it was easy the rest of the way. Um, um, there was one thing, which was I had, I knew I was giving birth in Paris, but I wasn't sure if something would happen if I was in London. So I was doing doctor visits in two countries. I was going to Paris every month to do a checkup. And I was also doing the checkups in the UK. And so I was worried, like, if I gave birth early that I'd have to go to an emergency room because they didn't want me to register for a hospital because I wasn't planning to give birth there. Um, right. but the, the travel was fine for my team. Lots of people on the team traveled. Um, and I worked from home in the last um, month before the pregnancy. Um, so that I could like, in case things happened, I'd, I'd be in the location that I wanted to be in. Um, yeah. And that was fine with my manager as well. 
Oh, cool. So she was born, and then how much leave did you take? I know um, it's not indicative of leave at other um, parts of Google, but yeah, um, yeah. So the UK, um, it's unusual in that you um, get some government support, and Google supplements it, and it's broken into sort of a year-long period where the last quarter is unpaid. Um, so I ended up taking ten. Uh, 10 months off. So one month was unpaid. Um, but I got some like nominal income for for the other nine months. Um, I took a month of vacation before the due date, which was the French due date. So it was like three weeks before uh, my child was due. Um, but then that's slightly different. Like if I had done it on an actual French contract, because France does a very standard thing of 16 weeks. And Four of those weeks have to be before uh, the due date, so it's a little bit different. But. Right, and then um, when we were talking before we started recording, you you said there's the congé that can happen after that. There's a thing called the congé parental, which is uh, parental leave, which is also something. It's a right that you have in France, so this is not like a Google benefit, but you can take up to three years of unpaid leave. Uh, as you want. So I know a friend of mine, she went back to work, I think when her son was seven months old, by taking a few months of congé parental. Um, in the congé parental can be taken by either the man or the woman, but I don't know if you can take it for the same amount of time. Mm. Um, and the three years is, I think, because children start school when they're three years old in France. So this would be enough time to be to be able to have some child care for, for uh, until your child goes to school. Right. Yeah, the French school day is um, is long, from what I hear. I, here in Germany, we only have half days for elementary school um, up until kids are, I don't know, 12 or so. And uh, and Germans talk about how, how long the French school day is and how it enables more women to work because it's long here women have to, or, you know, one parent has to stay home uh, to pick up the kids at 1 p.m. or whenever it is. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting that uh, the culture you're living in has a really long school day. I, I don't have a child in school yet. But yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it's accommodating to work, uh, work hours. But the, the actual school period, I don't think, is the full work day. I think I would you would need to check up on it. Uh, I think what you have is some amount of hours, which is the school day. And if parents are working, you can have like a uh, almost like a daycare thing mm -hmm. afterwards. That's in the same building. So so like some people might pick up their kids earlier, and some people would pick them up at like a standard work hour time because right. they pull them in this thing after school. Right. But the the thing that starts at three is not like real school. It's like a cognitive development thing. Um, and then real school starts. It, it's not mandatory to start your kid, at mm -hmm. three, but it's it's it is it's an option, and you're guaranteed a spot. Um, I think that it's like five or something. You would okay. need to check up, but I, I think it's later that it's mandated that they go to school. Yeah, yeah. In Germany, it's not until seven, uh, so I think it, it's all just a little bit earlier and a little bit longer <laughs> in France. <laughs> um, some places, I think Wednesdays are off, oh. so so they don't. So you, you have longer days, but then Wednesdays would be off, and then you'd have to find something for Wednesday. Yeah, interesting. 
but you would need to look this up because I, I am yeah. not so familiar <laughs> with it. That's okay. Well, I'm I'm not sure how many listeners of the show will be in France, but I'm sure that everyone who's listening from the U.S. will just be envious of the idea of um, even 16 weeks of paid leave and then, uh, you know, being able to get back to your job up to three years after that. Um, I know I'm envious. <laughs> I don't know exactly the mechanics of how yeah. on doll works, but I, I know that you have a right to it for a long time. It sounds pretty cool. Um, so when you finally did return to work after those 10 months, did you immediately go back full time? Yeah, I did. Um, so after, I was like, she was like 10 months old and I went back full time. And um, was that, uh, was that, did it, did it feel hard to go back? Um, was it a transition or? I was, I mean, I think um it was just I had put put it off not because I didn't like working but because I was quite afraid of um I knew it was going to be a new team and it was a new product and um I hadn't proven myself to them yet so uh that was something I was really worried on it and so I procrastinated on on trying to get back to work I had like childcare in place at that time so I already I was prepared in that sense but I was just more I didn't know it was my first child and I didn't know, you know how she would be when I was gone and all that. So right. it, was, it was more just worry. And um, I still wasn't sleeping very well at that time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it was more just worry and stress. Um, well, so when you were at work, um, did you have uh facilities for anything you might need to do like pump milk or you said there were <laughs> prenatal massages were there postnatal I, <laughs> I guess you were in Paris by then so you didn't have them. yeah um so they do have massages on site in the Paris office um once a month for people um for so I, I would mention that breastfeeding is not as common as I understand it is not as common in France as it yeah. is in say the u.s i mean it's a demographic thing as as well so um it's changing a bit but the last number i saw about it because they don't actually track in france they do know when you come out of the hospital that less than 50 percent of mothers are breastfeeding and i think average hospital stay is like five days so but five days wow. after birth less than 50 percent of mothers are breastfeeding so by the time people go back to work, I think it, I suspect, and uh, it's very rare for people to still be breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I made the request for um, somewhere to pump, I think I was really, really unusual for them. Um, and that varies by country because there was a room in the London office and in Mountain View, the headquarters for Google, they have, I mean, they provide breast pumps, they provide sinks and fridges. And oh, wow. Like, so, I mean, it's a real, like, totally set up thing. So in, in Mountain View, it's, it's much more elaborate. Um, uh, but what happened to me was it was a new team. And so my director, who's now my vice president, um, Heard when I told him like I had I was pumping in a toilet. He was totally horrified, <laughs> and he he had a young child of his own, and he made sure I got um, some facilities just for me to be able to do this. So oh, it was great. really just me. Um, 
Okay. Later, later on, there was another mother, but I was, it was very unusual, and it wasn't a problem once, once somebody knew that they needed to do something for me. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it's heartwarming to hear that. Uh, you know, once they learned that they were horrified, wanted to do <laughs> something about it. Um, did you? Uh, consciously make any changes in your career after returning to work? I mean, you, you were on a different team and that's sort of related to your um, your geographic move, but did you want to change the kind of work that you do at all? Or um, did you stay sort of with the same type of engineering? Um, I didn't really change any, any kinds of like projects per se. Um, it was constrained by my location. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, was uh, working on the API team. It's the public data API. And so there were events um, for where they wanted engineers to represent um, the YouTube teams in, in public forums like Google I.O. And so I said that I wouldn't travel in the first year I was on the team, um, which was and I, I made exceptions for when my husband could travel with me, which was during summer vacations. Okay. I said I was OK to travel. Um, as long as it's like, you know, I think I might have said only in August because that's when my nanny had time off, had a nanny at that time. Yeah. Uh, and I'd also said that I needed to be home so for, for like dinner. So I was, I wanted to be able to leave early, but I would be available. At the time I'd said, I think eight o'clock and now it's more like 8.30 because my kid goes to bed later. Um, I, I was available on video conference at night. I was totally fine with having meetings at night, um, which is fine, which is good because YouTube is based in California. So, uh, yeah. so it, it was perfectly fine for people that I had meetings late at night and that I was totally cool with it, but I didn't want to have meetings at like seven o'clock, seven o'clock. Yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. That's, um, that's my <laughs> life right now. <laughs> and, um, now I'm more flexible because I'm in the public daycare system, so I don't have to worry as much about the time of the year of traveling, and also my child's older. So I, I actually accepted a lot of travel last year, um, and I'm, I'm more okay with it. Uh, it's just more physically exhausting. I think I traveled to the U.S. a lot last year, um, but I, I generally try to make myself available for people in California after 8.30 so that that's something of value that I could add Europe. Yeah. Um, so are there skills that you have gained from parenting that you feel like you've brought into the workplace that you didn't have before? I mean, I think that's a really hard question <laughs> for me. Um, I probably have. Uh, I don't think it translates directly into like a promotion. Um, it's just so hard because even if I didn't have my kid, I changed products, which means you totally change code bases yes. and infrastructure. Um, I changed offices three times. I've changed <laughs> teams twice just in Paris. Um, and I didn't speak French before arriving. So, and I'm being a new mother. So like all of these effects are just all really compacted in a very short period of time, which is all surrounding my child's birth. Um, well, it sounds like you might be someone who's comfortable with change and navigating change. Oh, I mean, there was a lot of tears. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of crying, but I got to prepare for the questions beforehand. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I, most of it's, 
you know, over with now. I, I think it's hard to speculate on like where I would be if I didn't have my kid because I know that on my pre like my team in New York, um, before I got on ads, I wasn't doing I wasn't as productive as I could have been. And ads it was great, but my manager ended up changing teams. Like he's on a different team now than the one I joined. So like even if I'd stayed there, it wouldn't have been with him. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so all of these factors is just it's really like and YouTube is just so totally different now than anything else that I've worked on as a product and as a culture. So and and if I were French, like if I I, I didn't even know how to get to the office when I come off from maternity leave because I had only been to it like once. <sighs> and so you know just basic things like should I take the bus or should I take the metro or like the little knowledge that people have about what line is faster than the other how much time is this going to be door to door does it change in traffic like I didn't I didn't know any of that coming off of maternity leave so I mean any of any of these things could have probably helped my career and not had so much transition um but like adding the kid to it like I, I don't even know yeah yeah, you know, I um, I had to go through Paris this past weekend on my way to Lille, and I had forgotten that you need to keep your metro ticket, you know, that you don't just oh, need it yeah. at the beginning and at the end. I, I wasn't controlled or anything, but um, but yeah, it's little things like that that um, I can imagine easily throwing you off when you aren't, aren't used to them. Yeah. Um, well, so let's take a break, and then I want to I talk about the help and support that you got from other people and any advice that you have for other new moms. Um, but first I, I want to mention Heroku. Um, I haven't yet used Heroku, but, uh, last March I was at a hackathon where a lot of people used it for their apps and that made me curious. Um, as you know, at a hackathon time is of the essence. So that speaks to how quickly it is possible to get up and running with Heroku. Um, I think people used it because they could easily get stuff up and going and not have to worry about administering it. So Heroku is always looking for great talent and you can check out jobs.heroku.com for their current listings and I'll put that URL in the show notes. Can I say also that Google is looking for talented individuals as well? <laughs> yes, you may. <laughs> and um, and if, do you know off the top of your head, if people are interested, where should they go? I think it's google.com jobs. Okay. Jobs. okay, awesome. Yeah, so listeners, apply to Google. <laughs> um, all right, so you uh, have mentioned your husband already, so you have some help from a partner who is also an academic and who works from, from what we've gathered so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, do you guys have other, other support in Paris? Um, is there family there, or did you go there and not know anybody? Um, so, so my husband actually had lived in Paris before when he was studying, and he's French, and so he studied at university in Paris for well, equivalent of university. Everything's unusual in France. Um, uh, he had studied in Paris before, so he knew people, some people. Um, we have, I think, the most obvious thing that helps a lot is a cleaning lady. Who yes. <laughs> Once a week, and I would say this is very specific to France because I 
I don't, I never had a cleaning person in the U.S., but I, I feel like it's much simpler in France to have a cleaning person who comes to your home. Like you, you can declare them and pay social security and there's like a tax benefit. It's not, it's not terribly expensive. Hmm. Um, so she comes in for two hours every week and uh, she's great. And uh, my sister-in-law lives in Paris. So um, she likes to play with my kid and she babysits occasionally. And, and more often it's like she comes over like she did for this weekend and plays with my kid and, and I'll do the laundry or, or something like that. Oh, nice. Um, it's a bit of a mental break. Yeah. Um, and my in-laws are about a four-hour train ride away, so it's it's pretty long door-to-door. Um, but if we, like when I was traveling to the U.S., um, for example, for I think for Grace Hopper, maybe maybe the one after that, um, my mother-in-law, I think, yeah, I think for Grace Hopper, my mother-in-law came to, to um, Paris, and then I did a trip afterward where my kid went to Normandy for, for a while. And, um, yeah, so my in-laws have helped with, like, when the nanny had a day off, the daycare was closed, um, they've helped with that. Nice. Yeah, so I, we, we, I think we have quite a bit of help in Paris. So how did you and your husband decide how much work you would each do after you had a kid? Did you both just sort of um, know that you wanted to work full-time, or... Um, you know, was there any question of, of someone staying home? Um, so my husband's background is in sociology. And, um, so in terms of like, you know, he would never have asked me to cut back on my work. I think like if anything, when it was, he was the one who was pushing me to go back to work earlier. Like, I think I was just so afraid to, to try something new and so completely different in Paris. And he was like, you know, you really should get some intellectual stimulation. (laughs) You're not doing doing so well with the stay at home mom thing. So so he was really constantly pushing me to go back to work. Not, not so much for income, but just for, um, for well-being. Yeah. For well-being. Like he thought that would be better for me. Um, and in terms of like contribution to the household, he's he's well aware, and he said it to me is that men tend to undercount how much participation they have in domestic labor. So mm-hmm. they think they're doing fifty percent, but it's actually less than that. So he and, and I've heard other male sociologists say the same thing. Um, but he aims for like seventy percent. Like if he's doing seventy percent, then maybe he's doing fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mind trick. Yeah, and so when we went off, when I went off on maternity leave, like, I mean, he was already handling all the bureaucracy parts, like the, the things where, you know, French language was really needed. But we also had, partially because I was just so stressed out about it, we just wrote all the tasks that would need to get done, you know, in the morning to get ready for work and for when the nanny came and in the evening to like get ready for putting my kids to bed and what, what are all the things that we were going to have to do during the week so that you know, the house wouldn't fall apart. Um, we had like these different charts <laughs> and like people's names next to each thing. 
Um, but we don't do that anymore. Just... Yeah, right. After a while, you can put it on autopilot. But it makes sense at the beginning to to try to work it out in some way that uh, everyone's comfortable with. Yeah. So it was it was it was more like in the beginning when I, I came off from maternity leave that that was that was a way of of just making sure I wasn't going insane. Um, and, and dividing the work up so that things would get done in the amount of time that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so outside of your home, um, what childcare options did you have available? I think you mentioned a nanny at first, and then you, you've switched to something else now. Yeah. So in, in France, you have, um, you have a tax benefit for having a, a nanny share. So like two, two families would use the same nanny and you, and um, and there's a whole system for doing that. Another thing that we never did was assistant maternelle, which is um, someone who's certified by I don't remember what agency, but they um, they run like uh, they they can watch up to three children in their home. Oh. Um, and then there's uh, private daycare, which is uh, not very common in France. As far as I know, it certainly wasn't very common in my neighborhood. Um, and we ended up doing what's called a micro crush, which means that um, there has to be less than 10 children. And it could, you have to have, I think it's a ratio of three to one at any given time. So, like, that, that's actually very, um, it's actually a lot, of, a lot of attention for the number yeah. of children. And then we got into the public daycare system, which is where she's in now, which is obviously just cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> and it's open more regularly, and uh, and the ratio is higher. It's like five to one. Um, Still not bad. I think in the States, um, in my kids' daycare, it was six to one at that age, so... Uh. You're still and, ahead. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, I really like this one. I mean, it's it's so great. And they have like a psychologist on site, and they have like a nurse on site, and um, and it's just been a really good experience. It's it's like, and and it's it's not that common to get in. I think in my neighborhood, it's like less than twenty percent of parent of families can get into the public daycare. So, oh, wow. um, but it, it's like getting into heaven. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. They serve your kids like somewhat organic food and some organic food, and they're available pretty much year round. And it's it's very reliable, and people are very oh, they're just it's just great. I really like it. Wow. Well, good job snagging a spot. Um, I wanted to ask if there are any um, resources that you turn to, whether it's um, other parents at the kindergarten or any like listserv at work or, um, you know, when you have parenting questions, who do you turn to to get support or just bounce ideas off of? Um, so there's an internal mailing list at Google that's anonymous for mothers. And there are some colleagues that have kids. In fact, there's a guy who sits next to me who has a kid who was born, I think, three weeks before my kid. Um, and we both work for YouTube. Um, and I also belong to an expat mothers group. So for there's a group called Message, which is for English-speaking mothers that live in Paris. Nice. It's organized by neighborhood. So and then also that I have friends. Most women in tech that I know work for Google, actually. And, and then certainly in terms of mothers, they're pretty much all the moms in tech that I know work for Google. So um, 
that's been, always been a good resource when I go on business trips and, and see people. Great. It's great that you have a network. What secret weapons do you have for keeping things sane as a working parent? So I, oh, I don't keep things sane. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> Wrong question. <laughs> I did think of like things that I, I do, which are not, I don't know if they're the best, but uh, I was thinking about this today, which is I use diaper wipes to clean everything. If, ah, oh, that's a good one. I like if I like placemats. <laughs> if they're dirty, I just her diaper, like her high chair. I use a diaper wipe to clean it. If if something falls on the floor, I use a diaper wipe to clean <laughs> it. Um, I've done it for toilet seats. Like I, I just that's such a clever idea. Um, it makes things clean and it's pretty low maintenance. Um, I love Swiffer, it. Swiffer is just like almost exactly the same principle. So, um, I, yeah, yeah. We keep diaper wipes, even though my son is five now, we keep <laughs> diaper wipes in the car. Like if there are any messes in the car, yeah. that's what we turn to. Yeah. Like if something falls on the couch, I just use a diaper wipe. So <laughs> I, um, I, one thing was, uh, is like I tried, and I didn't do this before I was pregnant, so I, I know this was something that was for my kid, was I try to plan the meals um, on the weekend for what's going to happen in the whole week. And I won't necessarily cook all those meals, but I'm trying to avoid going to the grocery store multiple times in the week. Yes. Um, and so, and I try to have at least one meal that's going to have leftovers so that I won't have to cook every night. Very smart. I don't actually cook, so <laughs> it's most of the time my husband cooks. But but uh, that way, if I do cook, it's it's all ready. Um, yeah, having... and I agree. Just yeah, um, saving that time where you can instead of making a bunch of trips to and from the grocery store sounds really smart. <laughs> um, in Paris, many of the grocery stores will do delivery. Like you go to the store, and they'll let you do delivery if you order above a certain amount. So that also helps with with this, um, you know, planning ahead of time so that we'll have enough groceries so that we can get a free delivery to our apartment. Oh, um, right. Yeah, and then um, you don't have to bring all the bags on the metro. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but I found that online shopping is actually just a big waste of time. It doesn't seem to work very well in France. Um, hmm. So, and my kid likes to go to the grocery store, so it works out fine with that having said that I, I would say that we do eat sushi quite regularly <laughs> um and that's because it's like the takeout food for paris and um so yeah so we do eat sushi probably <laughs> a lot I, my kid actually when she sees a brown paper bag says sushi <laughs> um, cute um if i can quickly sneak in one last question yeah um, sure if you have one piece of advice that you would give to young women who are maybe just starting to think about having a baby um, or thinking about how their career might change when they have a baby? Is there any one tidbit you'd want to leave them with? Well, I think for me, and it's, it's a really hard one because I would say wait. Um, <laughs> because, but, but that's because I went through so many things in a really short period of time and I would have preferred to have been a bit more settled um before adding like another life event to my part but I also I, I wouldn't necessarily advise that for other people in that you know you don't know if you're a healthy person I mean not like you're unhealthy but you don't know that 
you don't know if something's going to be wrong. You don't know. Um, and, and that takes time to find these things out. So it, you know, in my circumstance, if I would go back in time and knowing that I didn't have any problems having a child, um, I would have been like, you know, you could wait a little bit. You could do an international move first and then um, not, not add this on top of everything else. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's really great advice for people. Yeah, I think any way you slice it, having a kid introduces a whole lot of <laughs> mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for making the time to talk today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, thanks for thanks for organizing the podcast. Sounds great. You're welcome. That wraps up this episode of Motherboard. Thanks to Heroku and to all of our Kickstarter supporters. Anyone who missed the campaign, please head over to motherboardpodcast.com slash support and help sustain the podcast. This show, excluding theme music and sponsor reads, is released under a Creative Commons license. To learn more, visit motherboardpodcast.com slash about. Last but not least, all views expressed on the podcast are individual opinions and not representative of any company. Thanks for listening, and best wishes for happy parenting. <laughs>